You're listening to SSDN Green Minds Podcast. I'm Laurel, co-host with Katherine Mercer-Baggett for the SSDN Green Minds Podcast series. In this episode, I am featuring the SSDN Community Collaboration Catalyst Micro Grant Award winners. The award winners were announced last fall back in October, and the final reports were due in June of 2022. So today we're going to hear from two cities that received a microgrant about the grant's implementation and impact as well as successes and challenges. Those two cities include Richmond, Virginia and Nashville, Tennessee. Other winners of the microgrant include athens Clark County, Georgia with their lead partner Athens Land Trust, Decatur, Georgia with lead partner South Face, Fairfax, Virginia, with the Institute for Sustainable Earth, George Mason University, Knoxville, Tennessee, and lead partner Seed Knoxville, and also Nashville, Tennessee, with Civic Design Center in Richmond, Virginia, with Virginia Community Voice. The microgrant program seeks to support four specific areas, best practices pertaining to centering equity and sustainability and resilience, strengthening relationships between local governments and community members, deeper community engagement efforts and power building with local governments and frontline communities, and community engagement efforts centered in the planning, policy, and programs development efforts from local governments. That's the basis for the SSDN microgrant program. So let's go ahead and head on over to Richmond, Virginia. We're going to talk with David Sale. He works with the city of Richmond, Virginia, and talk about their grant implementation along with their lead partner, Virginia Community Voice, here on the SSDN Green Minds Podcast. You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds Podcast, and I'm very excited to have with me David Sale. He's a consultant with the city of Richmond, Virginia on climate and community engagement, and he was one of the core members of the Community Collaboration Catalyst microgrant for the city of Richmond. How's it going, David? Are you doing all right? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. It's nice to talk about all this uh, work that we've been doing. Good. Well, it's been almost a full week since our grant report was done. Um, and submitted. So there's some relief there. That's always stressful getting that in and getting that in on time. <laughs> so um, congratulations on completing that and, and being part of the cities that were participating in this grant. So it looks like the, the project you you submitted was um, the intended outcome was to reach underrepresented neighborhoods and demographic communities in the community engagement efforts for the city of Richmond's RVA Green 2050, which is Climate Equity Action Plan 2030, um, the, the draft plan and the survey. So can you go a little bit more into detail about what the intent was when you submitted the grant, what you envisioned for the project um, at the out front um, and, and, and just kind of touch on that, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, our our whole RVA Green 2050 initiative, um, which is aiming to get Richmond uh, to net zero emissions by 2050 um, and help residents prepare for the impacts of climate change that we're already seeing, um, like extreme heat and flooding. Um, and the whole initiative and framework centers equity, um, because we know in Richmond, um, different folks in different neighborhoods experience these climate impacts differently. Um, and a lot of cases that overlaps with um, things like race and income. So the folks who generally contribute the least to climate change here in Richmond are affected the worst by it. And so um, for this for this effort around the microgrant, we really want to make sure that um, those communities especially were involved in the process. Um, and so around the same time as we kicked off this project, 
we also released the first um, sort of step toward the, that 2050 goal, um, which was our climate equity action plan. And so that outlined 49 strategies um, to get Richmond you know, on the right path to that longer term goal. Um, and so we were really looking for feedback on the plan itself, the strategies um, to really make sure that the needs of all Richmonders, but specifically um, those at the front lines of climate change um, were considered. And so um, a lot of the work we did was getting the word out, helping people hear about the plan um, and take our survey, which really is the, the sort of core of this effort, um, just to better understand what priorities are, what baseline understanding of climate change is across the city um, and really develop data to help hold ourselves accountable for progress over time. Can you talk a little bit about the city of Richmond? How, how large is the city of Richmond and what percentage of your population represents a uh, diverse population? So yeah, Richmond is um, a very demographically diverse city. Um, about 46% of our population is black or African-American. And so we do have um, a large population of traditionally considered minority groups in the city. Um, and uh, know a lot of the work that we've done around this climate action plan really did into um, why folks are sort of concentrated in certain areas and why those areas are more impacted by climate change. Um, and in, in the city of Richmond, we find that, that does generally come back to race. Um, things like the um, redlining that happened earlier in the 19th century um, and the legacy of that ongoing racism here in Richmond um, is what sort of we've seen lead to the fact that most communities of color and most low-income communities in the city are the ones that are the hottest with the least green space with the most flooding. Um, and so that overlap uh, of sort of climate vulnerability and social vulnerability is really important to a lot of the work we do, um, especially given the high percentage of Black African American residents that live in Richmond as well as Hispanic um, and Latino residents. And it looks like you partner with an organization called Virginia Community Voice this effort. Yeah, yeah. So they're a fantastic partner here in Richmond. Um, they do a lot of community engagement work and training for um, nonprofits in the city. Um, and they sort of helped us frame our entire initiative around the city of equitable community engagement. Um, and so they provided trainings to staff as well as our technical working groups to help develop the strategies um, from the very beginning about how to talk about race and climate together, how to engage the community in a very equitable and representative way. Um, and worked a lot with our team to both historically and with this microgrant specifically um, to make sure that our efforts were um, equitable in terms of design and logistics as well as um, representation. So how did you come up with, once you submitted your grant proposal and got awarded, how did you proceed with developing your program and your process and implementation? Yeah, so the most important thing um, to us, especially considering um, that we want to be equity-centered in this project, um, was paying folks for their time. Um, so rather than being uh, coming to a community asking for feedback or survey results or things like that, we really want to make sure that we could compensate these folks. And we think that's really important um, to any planning effort, but especially one that's dealing with the impacts of climate and the disproportionate impacts of climate at that um, and so a lot of the grant work with Virginia Community Voice was um, purchasing gift cards for that compensation. Um, as a city uh, office, there are a lot of uh, restrictions on how we can and can't use funds. And so being able to part with, partner with a community organization was really helpful in that way. Um, and so that's sort of the framework that we went into it at, uh, working under. Um, beyond that, 
we really wanted to make sure that um, we were getting the best sort of consultation on how to use the limited resources that we had, um, both in terms of engagement, um, budget, time, staff capacity, and things like that. Um, and so we really relied on Virginia Community Voice to help us develop our engagement strategy, um, if that made sense. And so really thinking about how to focus those limited resources and time most effectively, whether that was um, developing specific materials that um, could be used by all folks, especially in frontline communities. So not relying on solely internet uh, outreach, for example, um, connecting us with events and different community organizations that work in primarily Black and African-American or Latino and Hispanic neighborhoods, um, things like that. And so we really relied on, on sort of coaching from Virginia Community Voice um, with this grant to make sure that we were meeting our own goals um, and that the feedback that we were getting was representative of the wider Richmond community. Mm -hmm. And how did you determine to do the compensation? That why How did you decide that that was a strategy you would like to pursue? Yeah, so um, that sort of underscores a lot of the work that we've done in the planning process even before the grant. Um, and so something that we heard when we were initially even putting into this plan was that um, folks, especially in um, communities of color and lower income neighborhoods, were sort of tired of participating in planning processes um, that either didn't go anywhere or that required a lot of their time and effort. Um, and so we knew that, you know, from the get-go, that compensation piece was really important to us. We have um, a group of residents um, who form our Racial Equity and Environmental Justice Roundtable that have been with us throughout the entire process and sort of been that community voice in our planning. Um, and they are all, they've all been paid for that, um, for their time over the past two years. And so that's something that is a, it was a core value of our office. And so we worked with Virginia Community Voice to sort of just um, find what level of compensation was was fair and could be um, an equal exchange for, for, for its time. And so um, that's sort of one of our core principles and, and just being like I, like I mentioned, um, a city government, we have restrictions on that. And so this grant really allowed us to um, enact something that is important to us um, as an office of sustainability and also think about how to institutionalize that in a way moving forward that can be better managed by the city so that other planning efforts can um, offer that as well. Mm -hmm. So how did the work go? How was the, the survey process? Was it successful? Yeah, it was really successful. And so what, what we did um, was really be purposeful in how we were communicating about this survey. And so something that this grant allowed us to do was work with Virginia Community Voice to translate the online survey, which is I think the standard go-to method of reaching folks um, into a, a one-page paper survey that we could bring with us to events and you know help people fill out together with us, um, walk through if they maybe didn't speak English or um, couldn't read or things like that. You know, it gave us a, a hard copy to communicate around, which was really helpful. Um, and then they also were instrumental in helping us translate that language um, to be as accessible as possible. And so as um, sustainability and climate change professionals, um, I think a lot of times it's very easy to stay very rooted in technical language um, around what we're hoping to do um, in terms of strategies and solutions. And so um, the coaching that we received from Virginia Community Voice really helped distill a lot of our questions into the, the core information that we were going after. And that allowed us to um, get more responses uh, from folks who may 
otherwise not want to engage with that material. Um, and so that to me was, was a big success of this grant and the partnership that we had with Virginia Community Voice um, was just continuously checking in with experts in equitable engagement and communication and making sure that our materials um, reflected what we were trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, I wanna go into a little bit more details about the survey itself. So did you all ask demographical information? If so, where was it in the survey? Was it the beginning or the end? Yeah, and was so it required? We, I meant to ask that too, is, was it required? <laughs> Yeah, so um, it, it was not, we did have it, it was not required. Um, we always uh, give folks the option to not answer any of our questions, um, including demographic information. Um, and so not required, we did have um, geographic information at the beginning of the survey to make sure that folks who were responding um, lived, worked, or went to school in the city so that we weren't getting a lot of responses from surrounding municipalities. Um, and then most of the um, more traditional demographic information we put at the end. Um, so we asked things like race, age, income, um, English speaking ability, because um, a lot of what's important to us is, like I mentioned, to make sure that we are capturing representative voices in our surveys. Um, and so we did have you know, specific goals to be um, proportionally equivalent to citywide demographics in our responses. And so that, um, those questions help guide both where we knew we could be targeting outreach more or better um, and the types of folks that we really want to make sure had their voices included um, in the response. And you had mentioned that you did online surveys, but also paper surveys. So how did you ensure that distribution both in, in both formats um, were, were distributed to the target audiences? And then how did you collect and review those responses? Yeah, so um, the online survey, we sort of wanted to blast as far and wide as possible. And so we used a lot of our existing um, listservs and partnerships to get that out there. Um, with the paper surveys, we were a little bit more targeted, um, just again, to make sure that we were um, approaching folks who maybe didn't have internet access or can use a smartphone or things like that. And so um, that process really in involved working with Virginia Community Voice and our other community partners to go to events, to go to um, new spaces that we hadn't been in before um, and just talk about the plan, talk about climate change and, and the survey specifically. Um, and another critical piece of this outreach effort was that um, racial equity and environmental justice roundtable that I alluded to earlier. And so um, we provided each member of that roundtable with um, paper surveys, engagement materials, like brochures and stickers and stuff like that, um, and ask them to go out into their neighborhoods and communities um, and also have that more personal outreach with, with their um, neighbors and things like that. And so um, that was really, I think, instrumental in the process. And really, they served as our sort of advocates out in the community because they had been working with us for the entire process. Um, and so in collaboration with them, we really were able to target where we went with those paper surveys, um, because for a lot of people who don't traditionally engage with climate change planning, really, um, it was really helpful to have those conversations and just talk about, you know, why it was important and how climate change intersects with other priorities like 
affordable housing and things like that and really make the case for why this is important for everyone. Um, and so the, those conversations were really helpful um, that went sort of hand in hand with those paper surveys. And it sounds like when you distributed distributed the paper surveys that you didn't just leave them and hope that they'll send them back to you, that you were there with the um, respondent to complete the survey and took it from them before you left, whether it was a group meeting or um, visits in neighborhoods. Yeah, and so in the past, um, we've tried to include paper surveys with like prepaid envelopes and return addresses and stuff like that. Um, and that wasn't as successful. Um, and so really use the paper surveys as a sort of entryway into that conversation, which is really what we were hoping for. Um, just as we think about the next stage in our planning process in general, relying on those more personal relationships is gonna be really instrumental in the success of our strategies. And so we saw this period of engagement, not only as a way to collect feedback, but also sort of develop those relationships then that can then carry on um, as we continue our implementation. Um, and sort of, sort of serve two um, objectives in that way. And so um, to us, we we didn't really focus on the mailing in aspect of it um, as much. And the survey, it looks like it took about 10 minutes to complete. And you said you work closely with Virginia Community Voice to uh, get those questions at a good level. How hard was it or difficult was it to get those questions so that they, they were um, uh, aimed at diverse population that you were with your audience, but also to ensure that the feedback um, was useful to you to inform the, your plan. Yeah, so that was, that was I think, at the crux of the challenge with this was translating that 10-minute online survey, and we sort of were able to ask most of the questions that we wanted um, into that just front and back page, one-page survey. Um, and so working with Virginia Community Voice, we sort of went through the online survey and talked about, you know, what was the importance of each question? What was, if we could only gather, you know, three insights from the whole survey, what would they be? And really being strategic in the questions that were most important um, as a first step, and then distilling those even down further um, into more accessible language, making sure that it was really um, easy to complete that paper survey. Um, and then having that option where folks could take the full online survey or the sort of paper survey um, and knowing exactly which questions corresponded so that we could enter the data and it would all be um, compatible no matter how someone completed the survey. Mm -hmm. And in your, your budget for the grant, it looks like some of it obviously was used for the compensation for participation. What are some of the other areas that the grant funds were used for? Yeah, and so um, so this is, I think, uh, a lesson learned is originally we were going to use the other funds from the grant to pay um, community representatives working with this who are already contracted with the city to do the outreach themselves. Um, but that program ended before we were able to um, work with them. And so we sort of had to pivot um, a little bit into the project period. Um, so then what we ended up doing was partnering with Virginia Community Voice to provide coaching hours um, that we compensated them for with the grant funds. And so that included working with us to develop our engagement strategy, um, getting the survey more, um, into its paper form, working with um, an expert in Hispanic and Latino community outreach to translate it into Spanish um, and things like that. And so we really used the... Um, 
other piece of the funding to lean heavily into our partners' expertise and have them help us with the overall engagement um, process. Is there anything else you would have done differently? Yeah, I think um, ideally, if the, if the timeline was different, we would have worked with Virginia Community Voice from the start on the survey um, so that a lot of the sort of rewording and accessibility pieces that we did for the paper survey um, could be also incorporated into the longer survey um, as well. So that I think is something that we would definitely recommend or wish we had done differently moving in the future is it really having that community voice be a part of the survey design process, not just the engagement piece of it. Because um, I think that has been traditionally one of our barriers to engagement um, throughout the planning process was just that disconnect between some of the um, more technical language that we're familiar with, um, but that creating a barrier for participation among residents. Um, and so just working with our partners to make sure that language was as, as accessible as possible from the beginning, I think would have been um, a real value add to our efforts. And so now that the project's complete and you've got your survey responses, what's next? Yeah, so it actually um, timing-wise worked out really well because we just ended our engagement period um, a few days ago also. And so now we are taking all the responses we got from the survey, um, feedback we got on the plan itself, and um, making final changes to our draft so that we can introduce it to city council for adoption. And so this was really the last piece of that puzzle was making sure that the final strategies that we were proposing worked for the community, um, that we have a baseline understanding of what the community's priorities are and how they intersect with these strategies and so that we can go to city council um, in a few months and say, here's the plan, we have the buy-in from the community, we have data to support it um, and get them to hopefully adopt it. So it sounds like your responses verified that your recommendations in the plan were, were on par. Yeah, yeah, so we definitely wanted to make sure that um, anyone who hadn't been part of the process before had sort of this last chance to get a view of it um, and provide their feedback before it was adopted formally. Um, and so, yeah, the, the feedback that we got on the plan itself um, was, encur was encouraging and positive and the um, responses to the survey give us a good idea of how to sort of prioritize our next steps um, based on what the community's priorities are, based on their own concerns about their neighborhoods and really be targeted in how we roll out this plan once it's adopted. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, in closing, is there any piece of advice you give to other cities that are looking to start a community engagement survey process around their plans? Yeah, so I'd say um, two things. One is that getting um, input from community members or trusted partners is I think the best way to make sure that the survey makes sense um, for everyone um, and everyone can take it and feel confident in what they're doing. Um, and so I definitely recommend that. Um, and two, I think having different ways to take the survey was really helpful both in the, during this period and in the past. Um, so we tend to have those different options. So, you know, a full maybe 30 minute survey, a short 10 minute survey and a paper survey um, really, and really give people options on how much time they want to devote or can devote to this because any amount of feedback um, is really helpful and important. And so having those different options or sort of levels of ways to provide feedback, I think is really crucial in being as equitable and far reaching as possible. Great. 
Okay. Well, anything else you want to add, David? No, no. I think um, I think that's it. Thank you for your time, and I've really enjoyed talking about all that we're doing here in Richmond. You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds podcast. That was David Sale with the City of Richmond, Virginia, with their lead partner, Virginia Community Voice, here on the SSDN Green Minds podcast. And we were just talking about their implementation of their SSDN Community Collaboration Catalyst microgrant as they were very successful in their implementation and their impact. Now we're going to head over to my hometown, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm excited to have had the opportunity to talk to the Nashville Civic Design Center, who is the partner with the City of Nashville, and Jennifer Westerholm with the City of Nashville will be representing our work. So here is Nashville, Tennessee, about the microgrant with SSDN, here on the SSDN Green Minds podcast. You're listening to the SSDN Green Minds podcast, and right now we're going to be focused on the city of Nashville, and I'm excited to have two special guests with me to be talking about the spirit experience for the city of Nashville, and all disclosure, I do work for the city of Nashville and was heavily involved in the process and implementation of this survey, but I'm excited to have Jennifer Westerholm with Metro Nashville. She's a sustainability and outreach manager for the Division of Sustainability, and Eric Hoke. He is the design director for the Civic Design Center. How's it going, guys? Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah. Good, good. Um, well, I think it would be helpful as we talk about the, the, the collaboration of these grants on who is involved. So, Eric, uh, being a nonprofit agency and partnering with the City of Nashville for this, can you share a little bit about what the Civic Design Center does and why this, was, uh, this grant opportunity to collaborate with the city was valuable for the agency? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, just to start, the Civic Design Center, uh, their mission is to advocate for actionable change in communities and to improve quality of life for all. So that takes the form of pretty a pretty wide array of projects and ideas and programs. And uh, where I guess this project kind of bubbled up as uh, the Civic Design Center uh, re- uh, was looking at their original guiding principles and was actually updating it based on um, a few few things that I think we were missing as an organization, or not not deliberately missing, but maybe uh, wanted to put more emphasis on. And one of those things was our environment and climate issues. And so uh, Laurel actually uh, was serves on on the board of the Civic Design Center, and uh, she kind of brought this opportunity to us. At, at, as through SSEN and the grant. And so uh, we were excited to, you know, we just relaunched our principles. We added two more, we added one that talked about uh, environmental priorities. And, and so we were excited to, for this to kind of be the first project under that um, lens. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about uh, the design center. Right. And now, Jennifer, uh, you work in Metro Nashville as sustainability and outreach manager in the Division of Sustainability. And how did the work of this grant complement your work and a little bit about the climate action plan itself and why this was an important step with the climate action plan process? Sir, I was so excited to be able to get to work on this particular public outreach project because it's so integral to what will be our city's, Nashville's very first climate action plan, which is something that's overdue and we're so, so excited to have as a guiding principle for the next many years for our city when we think about climate priorities. So 
Right. I mean, I work in one of our mini metro departments and there are many, but each of us has a, a certain you know, relationship to sustainability that we do, whether it's water, waste, or energy related. And so um, it was great to be able to be a part of something that's larger than just our department and really is going to impact not only metro government, but the entire community of Nashville as well, and working in a kind of interdisciplinary way with colleagues within our own department, with other departments and the mayor's office, as well as the nonprofit Civic Design Center. Great. Well, the the in- engagement process of our citizens for the city of Nashville is really important. And uh, the way that we went about it is to determine that we want to do a survey and get people's input into the uh, some of the recommendations and goals that the Climate Action Plan identifies as important and to see if it was important to our citizens as well. So doing a survey isn't as easy uh, as just uh, putting a pen and paper and then launching it online. So um, Eric, I, I know you you and your, your world um, going into the, the area of engagement, to you a lot of it has to do with design and how that looks and how that feels and how that comes off. Um, so can you talk about the process and Jennifer, feel free to add into this about determining what kind of means we wanted to do the survey as well as the questions themselves. Yeah. And I guess too, another just kind of curveball is we were sort of, I mean, as we started this project, we were sort of in, in the midst of some of the, the higher COVID spikes. So we were kind of thinking about that too, is like, are we going to have opportunities for in-person? Are we going to have, is it going to be all virtual? Are we going to have virtual events? And so a lot of when we were creating the the um, plan for how we were going to get this feedback, we were trying to factor in a, a lot of unknowns. So that was a little bit of a challenge in itself. But ultimately, I think the survey gave us the best uh, reach with with what the tools we had and, and what we could um, address. So uh, the survey was adapted from uh, the Sustainability Advisory Committee's reporting and what they thought were, were kind of priorities for Metro. And so a lot of the work that we did, at least up front, was trying to boil down a lot of the pretty in, intense and advanced concepts into those survey questions. And, and uh, Jennifer, actually, you know, you did a lot of that work too. So I don't know if you can speak to the specific challenges of, of like trying to take all that really great ideas and, and information and try to get them into, like, I think we talked about, we wanted to be able to approach it from like a sixth grade lead, reading level so that many, um, you know, all people could take this survey or at least most. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you said, Eric, we had uh, the mayor's office or the mayor appoint this large committee of experts from across the city who came up with, I think it was over 290 recommendations in five different categories um, that should be included in our climate action plan. And as you said as well, many of these concepts are expert level things, you know, really digging into the weeds on transportation and renewable energy, energy efficiency, waste reduction, et cetera. So like you said, you know, boiling down 290 into something that could be a 10 minute survey that someone without a PhD in environmental sustainability could actually understand and digest and participate in was a big challenge. Um, Reading level, you know, uh, accessibility from a um, language standpoint, you know, we did translate the survey into Spanish and we had 
um, software that could translate into other languages as well. Um, folks who didn't necessarily have internet access. So you mentioned, Eric, that you know we were operating in kind of a COVID situation where we maybe couldn't have in-person events, but for folks that didn't even necessarily have reliable um, internet access, we made sure that we had print surveys and that there were um, the opportunity to take surveys at libraries and places with public computers and things like that for folks without maybe private access. Reading level was huge, as you mentioned, trying to keep the language both simple while also being descriptive and accurate was, was really quite a challenge. So um, I would say, you know, there was a lot that got left on the cutting room floor, but we, I think we were able to develop a 10 minute survey with really kind of five major questions areas about the city priorities that did it in the end it was effective in getting a pulse kind of a, a high level pulse from the Nashville public as to what matters most to them in a variety of areas but um, it certainly took quite a bit I, I think it took more revisions and more time it took a little bit longer than we thought it would as we kind of realized wow we need to account for x y and z and all of these challenges along yeah, and I'd say too, like some of the, uh, so we did, we, we were, I think we did a great job of boiling down a lot of these pretty advanced concepts, but then also we want, we were also interested in some of the more personal information, like do you have access to, uh, you know, green products, like do you, like, uh, a lot of it was geared towards what, what could we do as a city, you know, kind of these big picture things, but then we kind of tacked on you know, what this, and this kind of aids to those questions about the pulse of the city is like, do, you know, could we, if you had the option, would you, you know, partake in a more green lifestyle? And so those were, you know, we left those kind of more open-ended and let people respond. So that was a good way to just understand how people feel or understand what the questions are about too. So um, I think that was, those were kind of the, um, you know, just some interesting kind of additional thoughts about um, how you could get information from people sort of related to a topic of sustainability or Metro's decision-making. Yeah, and, and I think two important steps as part of this process. One is, Jennifer, I know you reached out to many cities to see what best practices were out there, not only on a regional level, but a national level, which, which definitely helped inform how to formulate our survey. And then secondly, we piloted it our survey with a few with a group of about 20 or so folks and got input was able to massage their um, recommendations, which I think helped improve the survey and is probably one of those best practices as well when you're developing surveys to be sure to test it on an audience, a very diverse audience to make sure that um, it's relatable. So um, I'm going to now let's talk about implementation. So uh, the survey itself and how once it was completed and available online as well as in a paper format, um, our team worked really closely together to come up with strategies, uh, design elements, social media elements, videos, variety of all different things. So um, Eric, why don't you take a, a stab first into what how you all um, at the National Civic Design Center went about coming up with the assets to support and encourage participation. Yeah, and we knew, I think we knew sort of probably as as we were even applying for this, that, you know, a social media campaign was going to be pretty important to just how we were going to go about getting people to participate, especially in the more 
online nature of things. We were, we were pretty dependent on some of the uh, social media aspects. So as part of the, the survey, we created kind of a breakdown uh, week by week to try to get people excited about, you know, some, I think we did four focus weeks that were, and, and then, you know, picked a topic related to one of those questions for each week to try to emphasize so that maybe we could hit on particular interests of people on one of those weeks. And, and assuming our followers, you know, had a, a variety of interests. So we, we chose, um, you know, we had the four week breakdown and then really leaned into some of the, the findings of the, uh, the, climate action plan and um, related topics to, for instance, like the transportation week and we had a uh, waste management week and uh, so on. So that was, that was kind of the, the social media strategy, but then we also, we knew we wanted to try to find some events. I mean, you know, it was, it was kind of, there was a lot of the COVID barriers, but then there were, there were events happening. So we tried to um, kind of partner with other organizations and communities that had ongoing events that maybe hit some of the demographics we were looking to um, get feedback from. And so uh, we we did a, a pretty wide reach. Um, and um, I guess I could speak to the one that I went to in um, Antioch, which is a, a South Nashville community. It's um, probably... Uh, one of our more uh, diverse cultural communities. And so it was great. I mean, this this particular event we went to was in partnership with Conexion Americas and they hosted a, a soccer tournament youth uh, party. And so it had bouncy castles and all this stuff and it was largely a Spanish speaking uh, population. And so um, we had to translate a lot of this stuff and, and this was done anyway, but it was great that we had resources for um kind of a, a translated survey in Spanish and some of the flyers and things like that for working with our partners in uh, the Spanish community. So that was, uh, the event was super fun. And I think uh, it, again, it just kind of enforces, and I don't know how many people actually took the, the flyer and, and engaged with the survey, but it was a chance to talk with folks about um, some of the climate issues. So that was just one example of the in-person events. Now, Jennifer, you helped tremendously with the implementation, not only from helping guide the, the social media outreach, but also identifying all the different partners in the community and putting together a spreadsheet and being able to track that. And the spreadsheet was pretty robust um, with, with hundreds of organizations between the Sustainability Advisory Committee and additional agencies. So talk a little bit about what you did to ensure that we did the best we can to maximize outreach. Yeah, well, you know, a big part of the reason behind this grant was we wanted to try to engage all members, you know, a, a representative sample of the Nashville community that could really guide our climate action priorities for the future. And so um, we knew we would have to be creative and really make sure that our outreach was broad and also um, took a number of different forms to kind of meet people where they were. So um yeah, we did. We had it's just a simple Excel spreadsheet, but it got pretty long um, of just, you know, internally brainstorming. Okay, what are, of course, you know, there's environmental organizations, and that's the first thing that comes to mind, but we realize we really have to break out of just kind of the usual suspects. So, what are the community based organizations, especially in, like Eric was saying, Antioch, you know, member uh, parts of our community that have more immigrants, more people of color, things like that, um, that aren't always as um, engaged in, in an issue like this. And so, um, you know, brainstorming community groups, um, working with other metro departments to make sure, again, that like 
the public libraries and community centers and sort of those natural community gathering places for folks all across our city were well equipped with, you know, the flyer and the QR code and the great logo that we had developed, which, you know, that's its own thing. We realized we kind of have to like develop a mini brand here. We have to decide on the colors. Okay, we're going to match it with our metro colors to make sure it's recognizable. Okay, we're gonna make sure the QR code is visible. And then we also have to add, you know, the web address if they don't. So um, anyway, having all those assets available publicly for folks at those kind of natural touch, touch points where people regularly come, as well as, as Eric said, you know, doing, trying to, to proactively go to events where we could. Um, we have a large and active nonprofit network, NGOs within Nashville. So we really um, worked with a lot of local nonprofits um, to try to get the word out to their constituencies and communities. And then we worked a lot with our Metro Council. So we have a large council. They're all um, plugged into their individual districts. And so really leaning on them to get the word out to the folks in their in their individual communities about this survey, why we're doing it, why we need to hear this diverse set of voices and um, how this will help guide our city going forward. Um, with all of those many, many organizations and groups and individuals, you know, we had the group, the contact person, the contact information, who was responsible for contacting them, when was the first contact, when was the second contact, what was the outcome, did they say that they would publicize it, did they indeed publicize it, et cetera. So we tried to really keep um, ourselves organized and, um, you know, knocking on many, as many doors as possible to get the word out. And another thing we did um, was we developed a media toolkit. So like Eric said, you know, we had our social media strategy with kind of a calendar of the different weeks and the different themes. Um, but Eric and his team at the Civic Design Center really shined in developing our, our kind of outreach assets. So we did have a great logo. We had a PowerPoint presentation um, for Instagram. We had videos that could be used as stories or a complete reel at the end to kind of tell the story. Um, and so we pulled together all of those many resources and sent out the toolkit, the media toolkit to um, the entire sustainability advisory committee of probably 60 plus folks, as well as others to ask them to kind of be the, uh, their own mini uh, outreach engines as well. So we tried to package our, our own internal assets and, and disseminate the information that way. Um, I also want to add one exciting thing that happened on the social media front, which I don't want to steal your thunder, Laurel, but if you were going to already ask about this, but, you know, we did kind of our, our internal social media and with our partners. And then we were so excited when um, Melissa Joan Hart of Clarissa Explains It All and Sabrina, the Teenage Witch fame knocked on our door proactively and was like, hey, this is great. I've already taken the survey, but I'm really, you know, I'm an environmentalist. I care about this. What can I do? to help elevate your efforts. So there were some serendipitous things like that that allowed us to then reach a broader audience um, than we ever could have before, which was exciting. Wow, and it sounds like with all hands on deck for about two months that the survey was active, um, that, that the outreach and the amount of partnerships and the creativity that went into it um, was probably one of the most, uh, productive, I would say, what we could do for the survey outreach, given the constraints that we have with COVID and 
um, a sort of a quick time period turnaround and, and the resources that we had. So um, talk about the outcome. So, how, so the survey closed at the end of May um, after almost a two month, two month run. So how did it go? Anybody want to jump in? Yeah, I guess um, I, I'd say it went pretty well. I mean, we had we had pretty lofty goals for this project. And so I think that drove us. You know, we really wanted to meet those goals. And, and I think we came up a little bit short. But I think overall, our uh, I think the outcomes gave us what we were looking for, kind of that pulse of the community. And so um, I had like the, you know, if we had to boil it down to like four big takeaways from the survey, I think you know, overwhelmingly people want actions and not words, you know, that they wanted to see what we can do, like what can we actually do right now to start to start chipping away at some of these climate issues. Um, another like hot topic thing was uh, EVs. And so like how I think people are excited about electric vehicles right now. And um, I think there's a, a lot of uh, hype in, in the press and, and what's going on and the kind of revolution that the car market is going through. I think that has a lot to do with it. But uh, again, Nashville's excited about EVs, I think. And then um, people, uh, I think people need help to be more sustainable was kind of one of these other things we noted. And that comes from those more open-ended questions. Uh, and then I think maybe, you know, debatably the most important uh, kind of big picture finding was that businesses are critical to, to helping to lead the charge here and getting, um, you know, Nashville's business community to participate in some of these goals. So I think that's, you know, those are kind of the big takeaways, I think, from, from the results. And uh, I think we're still actually working on trying to uh, find a good way to distribute like all of the outcomes and, and show people how this is going to look. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of in the near future here, how we're going to show people results and then um, move forward. So I guess that that might be uh, the big summary of, of the main takeaways. Jennifer? Yeah. And then, you know, one thing that we found was our goal was to get 5,000 participants. We had about 3,500, but a decent number of that, which was great. We were, we were very excited with 3,500, but a decent number of those folks didn't complete the survey. So as you might expect, more people started the survey than finished the survey. Um, even though, like I said, we really worked hard to make it digestible and short, like, you know, 10 minutes is 10 minutes and not everyone's going to finish. So um, we probably had about 2,500 like usable um, responses from the survey where they were complete and all the information was there. And um, I'm not sure we mentioned this yet, but um, as part of the grant, we did collect demographic information on our respondents. And as I mentioned, we really were hoping to have um, the respondents be representative proportionally to our population. So, um, you know, in terms of race and ethnicity and gender and things like that. And unfortunately they weren't. Um, so, you know, we did end up having a more female heavy um, respondents, participants, um, more well, it skewed wealthier than the median income of our city. And then um, from a racial and ethnic standpoint, we were more heavily white or Caucasian versus um, black, African-American, and Hispanic and things like that. So we, um, you know, I think that's a challenge that we kind of saw along the way. Eric and his team set up a really great interface. I think Alchemer is the, the software, but um, 
we were able to see in real time data of people who were completing this survey. So, you know, we launched it at the beginning of Earth Month. We had all of April to promote it and it'd be really on theme with that. And we did keep it open through May just to give people as much time as possible to participate. But we could see, you know, even from the first few weeks in April, like, oh, okay, it's, it's skewing female, it's skewing white, it's skewing upper income. Um, and so that was helpful to us because we were able to then try to course correct, right? To say, okay, goodness, we really need to like, you know, do more outreach in these council districts or do more outreach in these neighborhoods and things like that. Um, so it, it was helpful um, to see that. And in the end, you know, we, we couldn't totally make up for it. Um, but it's great to have that data now because we can think about, okay, we can, we can see, well, from the, say, African-American participants that we had, let's, um, even if it wasn't the number we might have hoped for, let's see what they did. What did, what did they say? What were their priorities and what were their responses? And maybe even weight those a little bit more heavily to come up with a, a more accurate picture that does represent everyone in Nashville um, as far as their priorities. If you had to do yeah. it over, oh, go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I was just gonna kind of emphasize the, um, what Jennifer was talking about with like, if you're able to create sort of a dashboard where you can respond like based on your goals, I think that was a, a big help as we were going through that two month period. So if like, you can kind of react. I mean, you know what you think, you know, but then once you see the numbers, I think it's a good way to, you know, just keep evaluating what you're doing. So sorry, Laurel. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask. I think that's so valuable information that both of you just shared. If you had to do it again, what would you do differently? Yeah, I mean, um, always more partners. You know, I, I think we had the um, we had we had a good team. I think if we could build it bigger and we just had more time to do it, I think another challenge that I don't think we had a lot of control over, but if we could find a time where there was also, I think there were three other Metro surveys that took place during the course of these two months. And so um, it, ideally we would have tried to figure out a time that we weren't like competing with ourselves essentially uh, to, to maybe address, I mean, there are different topics, but I think a lot of our issues probably overlap. Um, but that was just kind of the nature of, of the time frame we were given. Uh, but the, um, I, and I think we could learn some stuff too from even other surveys. Like there was some at, at, that were going on at the same time. There was some like geography questions. And I don't know if like dealing with climate, if if we could somehow involve some of the geography things. I mean, there's there are some geographical um, challenges and climate issues. So maybe there is some more like mapping or things like that involved. Um, but yeah, I think that that might have, I mean, just survey fatigue might have been one of the bigger challenges that I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't know, you know, it's like maybe just looking more, more to the future. If you can, if you, if you have the, the ability to plan as far out as you can and just make sure you're coordinating with other uh, agencies and nonprofits and communities, I think that's, that's key as much as you can. Jennifer? I agree. And I think um, one of the things that probably would have saved us some time and maybe made it the process a bit smoother from the beginning is I think we, as a, as a committee, so as the, the committee, you know, the small group of us that were actually developing the survey and, and developing our outreach plan, we kind of jumped into the survey and developing the questions and things. And as we were doing that, 
I think we realized, wait, like what's our why and what's our big picture and what, what are we, what's the overall reason for and purpose for collecting this information and doing this outreach? Um, Because I think we saw through kind of the survey development that not everybody in our small group of, you know, six or seven people really agreed or had the same priorities. Some people wanted to collect information on, you know, the, the, those 290 real specific priorities of the sustainability advisory committee. Some people really wanted to know more about, well, for the Nashville public, you know, what do they care about? What are their motivations personally for being green or not being green? And what are the challenges? Um, So, a lot of that kind of came out as we were developing survey questions and I think created some friction of like, well, we, we only have a certain amount of space. So do we include this or this? And um, I think if we had really all gotten on the same page initially around the overall purpose um, and what the survey results would be utilized for, that that could have helped us frame the survey itself more elegantly and maybe not go through as many revisions. Um, the other thing, the big thing that I think I would probably do differently is, you know, it's always about the messenger, right? And so like when Melissa Joan Hart contacted us, we're like, yay, a celebrity. Um, however, right, like I already said, we, our results skewed white, female and wealthy. So like, oops, kind of that's, you know, she's probably appealing to a lot of that same demographic that she fits right into. So I think if it, we had had the ability to, you know, a celebrity, great, but even just a community leader, you know, um, in, in more of the targeted areas that we were really trying to get the word out to, if we were able to get them as a spokesperson, you know, for on our Instagram reel or to do some sort of little cameo or, um, or something like that, even maybe have a council person from one of those areas to really step up and be the face of the campaign. I think that having messengers that were more, um, aligned with and representative of our target communities could have, perhaps broken through a little bit better and got us, gotten us a little more traction in those areas. And we, I think another thing that just this, this kind of stemming off what you said, Jennifer, about like the, the areas and, and communities and representation, but I think, uh, you know, should, should we had a, had more time. And I think I, I always appreciate, I feel like you get some better dialogue dialogue when you do we did we did do some several in-person events but the more um you know ingrained in the community maybe there was like neighborhood associations that we could have tapped into or other uh we didn't we didn't get super fine grain and that's just given a lot of the time constraints we had but if if we had sort of uh more chances to like get really into communities i feel like that would be it's great to have those like more dialogues instead of just like responding to a survey so i mean if if we had the if we could do it all again, I'd say if we could prioritize and didn't have COVID and all that stuff, you know, it's like I think if we could prioritize some like community centered events that we could really engage with people and have like some nice dialogue, I think that would be I'd like to do. Well, I think uh, those are some really good ideas and suggestions. And um, there's when you do a survey like this. The first time you always learn so much um, and can just gain more knowledge and help inform the next time that you do and build upon the existing survey or other surveys in the future. But overall, just a huge congratulations on the success and hard, hard work that the committee and team did in executing this, this survey and the results and all the ancillary design elements to support it, I think were phenomenal. So 
Um, excited to see what happens next. Um, perhaps we'll have you you guys back um, maybe next year and see where things are now as the Climate Action Plan begins implementation. So thank you both for being with us here on the SSDN Green Minds podcast. Yeah, thanks so thanks. much for having us. You've been listening to Nashville, Tennessee with Eric Hoke from the Civic Design Center, along with Jennifer Westerholm with the City of Nashville about their implementation of the SSDN Community Collaboration Catalyst Microgrant. As the grant was awarded back in October with the implementation throughout this past year with the final report just due in June of 2022. Well, that wraps up this episode of a Green Minds podcast. I'm Laurel here with you and you can find out more information about SSDN at southeastsdn.org and also more information about this microgrant. Just simply visit programs. Well, on behalf of my co-chair of the SSDN Green Minds podcast, Catherine Mercer Baggett, till next time, stay green.